HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Academy Opus Cassius, the cheese industry's unique center for professional development. For more information and to apply for courses, visit our website at www.academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E hyphen M-O-N-S dot com. Hi, this is Celia Cutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. you're listening to this podcast, and I hope you are, I'm sure you love keeping up on cheese news, whether that be through a daily Google alert or checking through Facebook. In fact, you likely have friends sending you cheese news anytime they see it. It's not news per se, but how many of us has gotten that sweet dreams are made of cheese picture posted on our Facebook walls by random friends from high school or an aunt you haven't talked to in several years? Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd. On today's show, we're going to do a recap on some current events in cheese with Nate McElroy, who's here in the studio at Roberta's Pizza. Nate is currently the East Coast sales manager for Cypress Grove, and you may remember him from such Cutting the Curd episodes as Drunk Cheese Stories 2014 and Oh No, Our Guest Located in Trinidad Just Cut Out, and Nate is eating in Roberta's, so he's going to be on the show now, which was episode 212. Thanks for coming on the show again, Nate. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, man, I'm happy to be here, too. I haven't been here in a while, and it's nice to be here safe in the studio here at Roberta's where no one can get to me. I'm behind this semi-bulletproof glass or whatever this is, and I'm real happy to be here. (laughs) So, topic number one, the glut of cheese in America. Recently, the Department of Agriculture offered to buy $20 million worth of cheddar cheese to help cut the record-level surplus of cheese in this country. It plans to distribute the cheese amongst food banks and other food assistance programs. There are many reasons why we have this surplus, including that a strong dollar has increased the price of American foods abroad. What are your thoughts, Nate? Any other reasons you've heard of or thoughts on what this means for our industry? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I want to know exactly how much we're exporting annually right. to, to create such a, a glut. Um, you know, I know the dollar's strong, and we can see that with the import game that we have right now on counters. Um, but what, what's the actual weight? What's our actual, like, in dollar value that's going out annually? I mean, it's going to be $20 million? No, I don't know about that. What I do know is that 
we had a dairy shortage in uh, 2014, right. and a lot of these people bumped up their mm-hmm. production. So now I think we've got too much. Um, <laughs> right. Well, they were. They also dumped. The government dumped a bunch of milk. Or well, no, I'm sorry. The government didn't dump a bunch of milk. Um, private uh, farmers dumped a Correct. bunch of milk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is this a this is a reaction from the government coming down on dairy farmers for having um, not enough. Well, yeah, milk or dairy products, and then to them increasing their supply, and then the government having to come bail them out. Yeah, and then the and the price for fluid milk is super low. I mean, I I was just up in uh, in New England um, helping to open up or try to open up a grocery store in Boston where there are literally a scarcity of employees. That's so hard to find people to sell cheese in Boston that aren't already employed. Um, and um, a lot of the, um, the the farmers up there uh, that I met or people that I talked to, they um, were turning their milk into cheese so that they could get some value added yeah. to, the, to the milk, you know? Sure, yeah, if you have the capacity to do that, don't dump it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's sad that they do that, but it, it, what's sadder is that if it's so cheap um, that it doesn't, I don't know, does it doesn't make sense for them to, uh, to, to try and sell it, or I, I don't know. Right, they're utilizing it as feed and fertilizer, and maybe, maybe that's cheaper than what they're getting for their land. Yeah, for animals. and they do. They definitely do use it as feed um, for some things. Fertilizer, I don't know. I've never, uh, I've never heard of that. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Um, yeah, so we got a lot of extra cheese in America. Super. Um, I guess it's going to be, you know, big hunks of cheddar cheese and school lunches or something like that. Is that what's going to happen? Yeah, I think they're giving it to a lot of soup kitchens as well. Yeah. Um, and programs to feed the hungry. So at least it's being, you know, purposed in a, in a humanitarian way. Yeah, and I like that. I, I, I think that cheese always, for me, just represents um, the, you know, us working to preserve things, so throwing it out is um, I just really don't I really don't believe in it, you know I mean, I think I'm guilty of keeping cheese around a long time and just trying to coax every little last bit of life sure. out of it that I possibly can, you know yeah, yeah, I, it just doesn't make me feel good to throw anything away like that, but um there's lots of cheese, so school lunches. Um, maybe they'll actually put some real cheese in some of the cheese-based products that we buy in the grocery store. That what would, a novel idea. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. Um, and, uh, and other random news. Um, you remember there was this thing with uh, Castle, Castle cheese? They were, they were taking bits of shitty other cheese and then calling it like Pecorino Romano or, uh, or, uh, or Parmigiano, but it was actually just... I don't know. Like wood shavings? Well, it wasn't the wood shave. Yes. It was different than that. This exec got um, – so um, they – uh, that that executive, so they made they made a lot of money, um, you know, by defrauding um, the the public, which is how most um, like you know faceless companies that want to sell you shitty food do it. So they jacked up the price, you know, and the ingredients were shit. So they gave this woman, um, and you can check this out; it's in Time Time Magazine dot com or Time dot com. This uh, they gave her um, instead of um, they sentenced her to like six months in prison because that's what you get for defrauding, you know, someone. I mean, God forbid you get like pulled over with a uh, you know I don't know a trace of alcohol in your breath or like you know uh, something of an illegal and herbaceous nature in the wrong state in this country. You know, you absolutely get thrown into jail. But this woman defrauded, you know, um, defrauded the public and uh, sold sold food under uh, under an assumed name, did all this bad shit. And so she got uh, up to six months in jail. But they decided that they wanted to have her work in a soup kitchen. 
um, so she could actually, you know, be near real food. Mm-hmm. But uh, which I thought was um, I thought was interesting. So. Uh, maybe instead of selling bags of stuff that's they're calling other stuff and charging a different price from it, we can just sell cheese, you know, that we have a surplus for at a at a cheap cost to consumers. That's my idea. Yeah. Well, uh, wasn't she part of the company that then ceased all operations? And yeah. Hasn't been able to pay back the one million dollar penalty yes. lobbied by the U.S. Department that is exactly okay. that. That is exactly yeah. that. You know, loopholes. Yeah. Oh, man, I wish I had loopholes. Every day. Cheesemongering doesn't have much loopholes. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of protective nets. Um, so topic two or three or four is vegan cheese, which I find really interesting. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a Facebook post that went viral, which started stated, <clears throat> quote, if you're going to be a vegan, don't call your vegan cheese in caps, because it's not cheese. The post went on to say some, quote, vegan cheese made with coconuts. Cheese is not made with coconuts. Call it Gary or something. Don't call it cheese because it's not cheese, end quote. Uh, what do you think about vegan cheese, Nate? Um, I don't know anything about vegan cheese other than it comes from nuts for the most part. Or, uh, it's nut Coconuts. Milk. Yeah. Coconuts are a nut, I think. Yes, they are. Um, Somewhat. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, people are looking for those... Those flavors and uh, incorporating into dishes and trying to mimic what cheese actually is. Right. So I personally would like to learn a little bit more about it. Have you Uh, tried it before? I have not tried it, no. Um, I've had it. I had it a couple times in mostly in a dessert. And it was like a in a. It's New York City. You get all manner of restaurants here. So once when I was pretending that I was going to only eat raw food, which lasted for a very short amount of time uh, because I like, you know. Things that have fat and that are made of uh, animals; those are those are tasty things. Um, uh, there's a couple of restaurants which were great, like Pure Food and Wine and Quintessence. These uh, these are vegan and uh, vegan raw uh, restaurants in New York City, and uh, they had a uh, sort of a nut foam or nut uh, nut, nut foam. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't need go a lot on, of nut foam. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you said that. Uh, we could do a whole show on nut foam, um, but. That, and it wasn't bad. You know, it's, it tastes uh, vegetal, obviously. Sure. And the texture isn't really there. Um, that's really my, my thing is that cheese uh, and dairy, uh, when it's cultured properly and matured properly, has this very particular texture. Mm-hmm. And I think for me as a cheesemonger and a lover of cheese and food, texture in food is very um, – it's very important and it's appropriate – when it's called some certain thing, you know what I mean? I so agree, yeah. when you call something cheese and the texture is sort of like mashed up nuts and uh, and it tastes like something different, I don't I don't think you should call it cheese. What if it was called nut cheese? <laughs> that would be okay. But what is the term cheese, you know what I mean? Like right. what does cheese mean? Yeah, well are we talking about uh, fermentation process and this nut cheese or Gary? Gary, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm really curious as to the the, the whole process of getting um, a vegan cheese substitute uh, to what it's go, how, how it goes to market and like exactly what they're trying to do. And a greater question is what have they tasted in order to try to achieve that? And uh, you know, what, what's a vegan eating to try to try to mimic a cheese? Well, that's true because you you gotta you gotta think that the yeah that's that's a really good question. So. 
what if you start out vegan or if you start out eating a certain type of diet, you'll you'll have never come into contact with what we call cheese. Right. Right? Right. So I guess what you're basing it on is a package or like some friends. That's really that's really good. I don't know a super uh, what I what I tasted when I've had it um, is uh, it just is just ground and pressed, but there's something that binds it together of a vegetable gelatinous nature, I think. But that's a good question. I don't know if those things are fermented. For, for not, I, I gotta, I gotta check with my friends on ferment about it here, and then have it. We do a combo episode of a, uh, of vegan cheese. But do you? Does it bother you that it's called cheese? Or you don't really care. Uh, yeah, to an extent. Uh, you know, I mean, cheese should be cheese. Cheese is a, a fermented dairy product. Uh, it's a, a preservation of, of fluid milk, and, and I don't think that you need to preserve nuts in that form, right? Necessarily, um, and so really, we're we're looking at just trying to duplicate ingredients with different. Um, chemical structures, right? Like, like the ingredients have different ingredients that are somehow supposed to create something. Like you can get a pack of shredded dia or what, however you say it. You know, it's yeah. Like, okay, what, but they got wheat and and gluten, I'm sure. And I don't know if there's artificial flavor in there or how they're getting some sort of like sharpness or added acidity to it. Um, well, if you're vegan and, and you're in a certain way, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I guess you probably wouldn't want um, if you're like a raw foodist, vegan raw foodist. Per- person, you wouldn't want any of those chemicals either. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they, they can't be cooked. You know, I was eating this in a place, uh, like the restaurant I, where I had my nut cheese experience. Boom. Good God. I don't want a lot of nut cheese experiences uh, in my life. Uh, and, and I don't want to drink any nut milk um, anymore. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not a good thing to do. But, but I get that it's out there. Uh, I think that they call it cheese because it's relatable to people who have had that and switched their switched their lifestyle, you know, rather than call it, you know, almond mash or something like that, where people are going to be like, what the fuck is this and why would I want to eat it? But if it says cheese, people are like, oh, I love cheese, right. you know, yeah. let's pick up a hunk, you yeah. know? It, it, to me, that still goes back to that, like, how, what are you modeling it after? Because we're dealing with such a sensory product when we're talking about real cheese. Like, you can smell it and touch it and feel it and get the like the whole texture of Completely. it but until you get that on your palate until you taste the flavors until you have that texture and that mouthfeel like you're never going to have a, like a reproduction of what this actually is no not at all in like in sports terms cheeses or baseball terms cheeses are what's known as a five tool player you know what i mean it yeah. can run it can hit it can field it can you know it, it does everything you know and yeah. uh, and you need uh, to fully appreciate it you need to to use all those senses that's a really good idea i mean a really good question i wonder whether what these guys or gals they they got together um and they with with um people who had cheese making experience you know and uh and somehow uh, cultured the nuts without <laughs> <laughs> cultured nuts, nut milk, nut foam. Um, uh, so is it safe to say that uh, vegan cheese is the DH? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. The designated hitter of food products. Step on in and swing the bat. Wow, that's a uh, that's 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 absolutely brilliant. I really like that. Well, um, you know, and I but I also you know what what it what it is. I, I don't get um, I get militant about certain things. You know, I don't like. Um, uh, when the government threatens uh, people's way of life that I that I enjoy, um, you know, I don't I don't like um, you know bad food. I don't like things being called other things, but it, but it doesn't really bother me that someone would call vegan 
product cheese. It re- it really I re- really don't I really don't care. It's not know? it's not something I'm going to go to war over. No, not at all. <laughs> no, it, if, if, if anything, it's, for dairy people, we're like, yeah, you know, we're all we're all sedated. We've had a lot of heavy dairy products. <laughs> we we're like bringing in the. It's always the the other way around. People come and scold me that are vegans, and they're like, well. We, why don't you have any of this? And I'm just like, I don't know, man. I just, I just sell cheese. I don't, I don't know. sell that. Yeah. yeah, you know? No nuts. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to continue our little mashup of cheese news. Stay with us. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Taxstar, and this track is called Walking Like a Cowboy. The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course and attracts students from such diverse countries as Australia, Venezuela, Ukraine, Canada, Sweden, Kenya, and India. Cheesemongering, cheesemaking, and affinage courses form the core curriculum. Sensory analysis training is practiced daily in every program. The Academy also offers insider's tours in New York, London, and Paris, where cheesemongers can meet their international peers and be inspired by different approaches to cheesemaking and retailing. In the United States, the Academy offers programs in California and Vermont. Our five-day program, Cheese from Pasture to Plate, will run in March 2017 in partnership with Point Reyes Farmstead Cheese and Cowgirl Creamery. The Life of Cheese in Four Days in June 2017 is our ongoing partnership with Jasper Hill Farm. Both of these hands-on courses are perfect for students preparing for the ACS Certified Cheese Professional Exam. Enrollment is open now and space is limited to 10. For more information and to apply for this and other courses, visit our website at academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E hyphen M-O-N-S dot com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. We were talking before the break with Nate McElroy of Cypress Grove about some cheese current events, including uh, renaming vegan cheese Gary or nut milk cheese. Um, I vote nut milk. And, uh, and the surplus of commodity cheese here in the U.S., of which Nate made several key points, you know, about why we aren't, why we aren't sending that abroad. You know, that's a, actually a good thing to think about. And um, our next topic for discussion is an unfortunate one. Uh, Manifold Farms recently announced they will no longer be making cheese. Uh, being a farmstead cheese producer isn't glamorous. It's really, really hard work, and I'm sure they didn't approach that decision lightly given their many accolades and excellent reputation. They announced the, vo- the following via their site, and bear with me for a sec because I want to read most of what they wrote. Quote, the creamery at Manifold Farms will be shutting its doors as of January 1st, 2017 for the foreseeable future. We aren't selling the business, nor the brand, nor the stock. We will continue farming operations and practicing good land stewardship. The work of farmstead cheese in the United States is challenging above and beyond many other ways of working. Over the past seven years, we've faced and met many of these challenges with extraordinary success. However, as the interest and enthusiasm for local foods increases, the challenges do not decrease. 
Problems of scale and consumer access and education especially plague the movement towards better food. We want the time and space to work more directly in these concerns than the daily challenges of our business allows. It our hope, it's our hope that in time we might provide insight and resources towards developing new agrarian economies going forward, end quote. Nate, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Are there, I mean, are there too many, uh, this is a weird question, but are there too many cheesemakers out there? Um, we definitely aren't hurting for cheesemakers. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that the, the more cheesemakers, the better as far as, like, it, I think America is on this great cusp of, wonderful artisan cheese and like we've been there but we're just like we're really pushing the envelope so i think the more people that are involved in it the better our products are going to be um and uh by me involved what do you mean like more people selling it uh, across the board as the industry continues to grow like uh-huh. we're going to need like forward thinking cheesemakers and farmers um to get us to that point and then we're that's going to trickle down to the counters and then it's going to trickle down to the consumers just keep building this industry um i, I really it's super sad it was really surprising um to hear that they were closing you know i was just down there a few weeks ago and tim gaddis who, who does a lot of the operations down there was nice enough to show us around and and it was just this beautiful patch of land i mean like god's country down there um and so to, like three weeks later here that they're they're shutting their doors and the cheese that he gave me is probably the last cheese i'll ever have from them is it's really you know it's a bummer man yeah, I mean, is this the beginning of a shift in small cheesemakers? Are these guys going to have it tougher getting, you know, is it, is it going to be tougher going for small cheesemakers? I mean, so you say you get beautiful land, great cheese, good people. Yeah. What didn't work there? I don't know. You know, I, 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 may, I hope that there's more to the story. Um, and there's some sort of like plan for maybe like reigniting it down the road. Maybe they needed to sort of like reassess what they're doing, and and you know if they're talking about scale, maybe they need to like tweak their scale a bit. Um, consumer access. Consumer access is a huge thing, and you know we are bombarded with subpar product, and a lot of consumers are going in getting you know um, President Brie and sure. things like that. You know, well uh, that stuff is so cheap. It is. It is, and so it cuts out people's like. Like they're going to say, okay, I can get this like half kilo for seven dollars, and I can go pay sixteen dollars for a quarter pound of something. Not understanding the relationship of sheep's milk to cow's milk or goat's Absolutely. milk to cow's milk, um, you know that just skewers the general public's consumption pattern, right? I mean, um, but I think a, a big part of this operation in particular, and going into goat's milk producers, is the fact that there isn't really strong infrastructure for goats and sheep's milk industry in the United States. Yeah, you're are you learning that now with your new with your yeah, new work? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What is that telling you? Um it's telling me that I mean obviously we prioritize cow's milk because it's cheaper and you get more of it. Um it's telling me that what we really need are model dairies to show the American dairy boards that like this is the this is the right way forward. This is how we're going to continue to produce like practice solid animal husbandry get like a lot of fluid milk out of these animals and continue the cycle and continue to build it instead of having things like shut off for two or three months at a time or you know the general gestation cycle um so it's like we really need people that can invest into that industry into the goat and sheep's milk dairy industry what's 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 interesting to note is that so your your business and and other businesses that are of a goat goat cheese producing nature uh recently purchased by large dairy concerns outside of the country yeah and why does no one why does no one do that in here? I don't understand. I don't know, maybe too much risk. Yeah. There's definitely a market for cheese. When I read when I read consu- uh, for cheese of all sorts. Mm-hmm. I, I mean uh, 
10, 15 years ago, I, it would have been, I, I would think, just to, you know, as, as a cheesemonger, it might have been a little harder to push goat, goat cheese and sheep cheese onto um, consumers and push in a good way. Say, hey, this is good stuff, you need it. Now, there is a lot of education. Um, in my opinion, you know, and I work in a, in a market where the, where people are take to a lot of education. When I read when I read that consumer access, I, I, there's a gap between those producers, and I'm just speculating here. But the, who do, who's going to distribute their product and the costs involved in that? When I buy cheese directly from the farmer, they put it in a box, they charge me some shipping, and it comes to me, and a check goes directly to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and the distribution process obviously adds another step. It gives you some safety because someone's purchasing your cheese up front and then it's their job to sell it. And I think and it's just a, with some cheeses uh, of a certain nature, and I tasted the Manifold Farm stuff a couple times and I thought it was great. And, um, and I, I, something to me happens in that next step, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the surface ripened cheeses like that. If they go to a distribution, and I don't know that that was their problem, what I see is that when it passes through another set of hands, cheese gets fucked up. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once you have another step in that cold chain and you don't have control over the product and you're getting an added cost on on top of that, then it becomes like, can a counter actually carry that and sell it at a reasonable price? And it's a good question. And what you see is so there's some small companies that do. That really care for cheese, FMA, Saxelby, where I get where you know I get a lot of U.S. artisan cheese. Um, those those people, they they buy small quantities of cheese, sell it to you by the piece, and it's cared for because they have cheesemongers working there. I think when you go into some larger distribution, it just doesn't get that kind of care. No, when it, you have like four thousand items in a catalog, it just no, it gets lost. Right, like and, the specialty in those big entities is like you know it's hit and miss. And it's also a price thing. Mm-hmm. So sheep and goat, oh, sheep smoke special. These are expensive. They're expensive coming from the farm. You know, if you add a slim 16, 17% margin like on that through a distributor, you're gonna, it, it's tough. That's a tough sell. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm a retailer, I mean, I work at one of the busiest counters. I don't, I, I don't, you know, I buy a lot of cheese at, at the prices that it comes to me because I can support that. You know, but if you have a small shop, standalone shop, and you and your distribution is such, you have to go through a larger distributor because they give you the better pricing. Even that, when you're looking at something that's twenty eight, twenty nine dollars a pound coming to you with their charges, that's tough stuff to buy. Absolutely, you know, especially markets outside of where we are. You know, I mean, we live in this nice little bubble where you can kind of get away with a lot about anything. A lot, know? yeah. Um, and so, and then if you're dependent on like some outlier distributor to get a truck up there once a week, you're going to be paying out, out the mouth for it. And you see, like what I see is consolidations of businesses. You know, the large businesses are getting larger. Middle, middle, there used to be this night, well, the middle grade of, 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 of businesses, just like the middle class in this country, and, you know, is, is, is evaporating, you know, so you have, you have very small, which is very good in my opinion, but their, their ability to generate a lot of business and get a lot of product to you is little. And then you have the big monolithic kind of uh, distribution companies, you know what I mean, that, mm-hmm. that sit on the other end. Yep. Um, and uh, But I don't – education is like – I think there's a lot of education. I think there's a lot of really good information out there now. There will always be bad information just because we love to talk and people love to fucking talk about cheese. They love – you know what I mean? The story starts out – 
this woman has this many goats at the end. It's like, you know, she hikes up a mountain both ways. You know, when she's hiking, when she's bringing the milk down from the mountain, she's actually hiking back up the mountain. You know what I mean? And it goes like that. And, uh, and you get a little bit of that. But that doesn't really – that washes out. You know what I mean? The stories become a little less important when the cheese is good, you know? But um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a disturbing – it's a disturbing trend um, to see – uh, even though it works out well, it's to see businesses that that ha- that are being purchased by larger businesses to support what they do, and and also and people go people not being able to make to make ends meet. Um, so because obviously there that has to be that has to be there. And um, I mean, but I ask you, it's like who's so whose role is it to make sure that those producers have the support the support to remain sustainable? Is that distributing? Um, is is it anybody's role, and should it be anybody's role? I don't think you can pinpoint one person. I think that's just a collective industry. That's you know, uh, the distributor making sure that they get paid and the product is in and out of that warehouse and in good condition. It's the cheesemonger making sure that the cheese is cared for and sold, um, and it's the consumer that wants to like experience new products or like try new things. You know, um, and I think we have that. I just don't. I don't know where, where what's missing. Yeah. No, those are good, and it is. I think that that's what it is. It's hard work all the way from uh, from beginning to end to do your own thing and to make good food. Well, I'm, I hope things work out for them, yeah. and I hope they come back. Um, so our next topic is a little bit lighter, and, you know, we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Um, our next topic is a French study that supposedly proved wine and cheese actually do taste better together. Oh, finally? Yes, we are all safe. Oh, you're, you're good. Everybody's good. The French have figured it out for us. Uh, conducted at the Center for Taste and Feeding Behavior in Dijon, France, which is a very nice town, uh, the researchers asked 31 French wine experts to first taste and rate four red and white varietals. Then they served the study participants a sampling of hard and soft cheeses from different milk types. Types. The study concluded that the perception of astringency of a certain wine could be reduced after eating cheese. Nate, do you think this study makes any sense? Didn't we already know all of this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it makes sense. I believe <laughs> it, and uh, we can carry on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really like rudimentary stuff. Fat cuts all the bitterness and, and uh, the crappy cannons. Yay! Yeah. We win! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are filming in front of a live studio audience, and both of us are pantsless. That's what all the applause was for. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I just want to visit the Center for Taste and Feeding Behavior. That sounds next... like a beautiful place. Yeah, I want to. I want to get in there. <laughs> I need to know how to behave better. Yes, <laughs> tasting and eating. I want to be a uh, some sort of test subject or lab rat for. What do you do? Um, I'm a guinea pig at the Center for Taste and Feeding Behavior. Yeah. You know, because I basically am anyway in life, and uh, so I'm going to keep that going. You know. And and finally, I wanted to do a short public service announcement. Um, If you live in the Philly area, Madame Fromage, Tanaya Darlington, is hosting an awesome event called the Cheese Ball next week on Sunday, October 30th. This is the third year she'll be hosting this dance party with Philly's largest cheese board. Visit madamefromageblog.com for more info. Uh, I think the best thing about this event is that proceeds benefit the Pennsylvania Cheese Guild. Have you done any work with the Cheese Guilds, Nate? Not yet. 
Are you looking forward to it? Getting up in Cali. Yeah. Um, we did a great uh, Guild episode with Sue Miller and uh, Rachel from Parish Hill and Anthea from California, and all about the work Guilds do to support their local cheesemakers. I like Guilds. I think that maybe Guilds can help Absolutely. to get that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. um, We have this um, great... Uh, you know, entrepreneurial, pioneering spirit here still in the U.S. in terms of people who start their own business. But I like the cooperative nature of dairy farms and farmers in, in uh, well, especially in France, like in the Jura, you know, and, uh, and like I, I really I really like that, you know. So um, hopefully, you know, I don't know how it would I, I hope that the guilds can help people get milk that, that need milk and people get cheese making support and expertise and distribution that they like. Absolutely. I like the cheese guilt. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Nate, for um, coming to join us on Cutting the Curd. Really Always appreciate it. Yeah, man. And um, thank you all for listening to Cutting the Curd. Thanks, Nate, again. And uh, tune, in, tune in next week for more. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.